WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the official podcast of the WMQ Comics website. I'm your host, Dan Grow, and welcome to our Age of X Men special. Uh, we're doing a series all this month at WMQComics.com where uh, guest contributors are writing about their favorite era of X-Men comics, you know, what got them into the books or why a particular era is worthy of note. Uh, I kicked things off last week with a look at the current state of the X-Books and why I think it's actually uh, a golden age. Uh, I've really been enjoying the hell out of everything since Uncanny relaunched in the fall. I also got a piece up from Trent Seeley on the Age of Apocalypse, and we're going to have some more pieces coming up this week. Uh, but this episode specifically is just a chance for me and Matt to kind of sit down and just talk all things X-Men. So uh, that's a good time. And then uh, in our warm-up segment, the last of the road trip clips, uh, we are joined by Sean Wolf, who hosts a uh, web show called Cooking with Stupid, uh, where he will cook for a guest, uh, often somebody who has something to do with comics, actually, uh, and will give things away to charity. So uh, check that out, and then uh, stay tuned for for me and Matt. Uh, This kind of takes place over a couple of segments that we mashed together, Uh, but we are joined briefly uh, via flashback by uh, one of the current X-Men writers. Um, I uh, downloaded some Dream Harp sound effects for this episode, so just get hyped for that. Um, But anyway, yeah, no, without further ado, here are me and Matt and Sean. All right. Uh, it is late in the day on Free Comic Book Day. Uh, I am working on my second coffee, uh, and we are here with Cooking with Stupid. I am uh, Sean Wolf. It's a weekly free on Facebook live cooking show we do every Sunday at 7 p.m. And uh, come on and join us. Join us. Just click like and share, everybody. Uh, every month we do a different charity fundraiser. And uh, whoever donates the most money to said charity wins a big bag of swag from us. We started doing that back in uh, August. We did. Uh, we raised over four thousand dollars for different charities, but we gave away about nine thousand dollars worth of stuff. So it's cool to check out, everybody. Sean will often have a comic book artist guest come on. Uh, this month is. Fernando, Fernando Ruiz, yes. Who we Best have, guest of our show. Yes, and, and friend of the show. Yep. Sean here is one of the few people who can say that he has been around Dewey's Comic City longer than I have, which is saying something. 25 plus years ago, I was a very first customer. Yep. What did you buy? Uh, Infinite, uh, Crisis on the Infinite Earths number 7. Wow. It, it was literally the only one I needed, because <laughs> I had lost mine, and Dan, it was literally the day before he opened the shop up. And uh, he's like, you know, we're, we're not really open yet, son. I was like, oh, okay, you know, just looking for one thing. And he had it, and I literally jumped behind the counter and gave him a big-ass hug. And that started a friendship that's lasted over 25 years now. It was really cool. Yeah. All happy. Yeah. Oh. He's been regretting it ever since. <laughs> <laughs> Who are some of the other guests you've had over the time at Cooking with Stupid? Uh, let's see, we've had Jocko Tatura on the show. We've had Tom Mandrake on the show. Um, uh, local artists came out of the Kubert School. Zach Viola has been on the show. Christian Massat has been on our show, and they do a live sketch and or painting, whatever their medium is, right there on our show. I let them pick their uh, their dinner of choice that night, and then we add it to the mystery box. That we, or I keep saying mystery box, but the bag of swag <laughs> that we give away. Um, this month, we have every, every single box we give away, roughly over $400 worth of swag, and I think the least amount of money everybody's ever donated was like $55. And they walked away with like three hundred dollars and stuff. <laughs> but we get a lot of uh, a lot of everything that we get is donated from various comic book stores here at Dewey's, Eastside Mags, Gotham Underground, um, and all these fantastic artists, artists, writers, and creators. They just donate the sin at everything. Was, I mean, Tom Mandrake and his and his family. I walked out of their house one time like three thousand dollars worth of stuff. New York Comic Con, I walked out with like seven thousand dollars. Greg Hildebrandt's given us original pieces. Yeah, you know hard that is to get. <laughs> <laughs> yes, dude. All you have to do is cook to cook for these people. Yeah, it's literally that's all it is. It's like they just come into my house. People have been calling me up, like, "Hey, can I be on your show?" I'm like, yeah, cool. <laughs> now, is it? And then, pardon me for not remembering this off my head. Is it different charities each? Yeah, time? It's a okay. different. I pick a different charity fundraiser every single month. 
And we always try to go with the most non-profit as humanly possible. Sure. Um, the only one we didn't do that was not 100% non-profit was Susan G. Komen. Sure. But, you know, it was a spur-of-the-moment thing. Um, but, yeah, we always do, like I said, 100% non-profit. It's all for fun. It's all for free. I don't make a penny off of doing this. That's why it's only on Facebook Live, because why not? <laughs> what is the most elaborate meal you have cooked for a guest? Um, hmm. Probably last week, uh, Zach Viola, he, I did my cheeseburger bake. Okay. It's a simplistic thing. The bottom layer is uh, Pillsbury Grand's honey biscuits, mm -hmm. and I'll bake them in a big lasagna sheet. And then the next layer is ground beef mixed with Velveeta cheese, onions, and then the next layer is pickles, and then I do ketchup, mustard, or I can make my own like McDonald's special sauce, because it's not that hard to do. <laughs> um, and then I just put like tater tots on top, and I top it off a cheddar. It's just like a lot of different crazy flavors, but it's so good. Ooh, I mean, it, it sounds, sounds delightful. Yeah, if you're on a diet, you don't eat anything I make. Um, <laughs> and for those of you playing at home, if you are going to tune into our show, for the love of God, do not have children watching because we are rated M for a reason. Um, it's cool, though. I mean, we have a lot of famous people that watch the show. Uh, Richard Grieco tunes in. Chris Pratt follows us. Oh, wow. Which is nice. Kind of awesome. Uh, David DeSmolchin, Michael Pena. Paul Rudd. It's just a really weird eclectic you're, mix of people. You're assembling your own little MCU <laughs> yeah, right there. Right? Like I got, I got like Avengers West starting really <laughs> soon. Nice. Oh, I got Mockingbird and Moon Knight. <laughs> yeah, right? God, I need there to be a Moon Knight show some, sometime soon. Oh, that would... You'd think. Right. I mean, is that not on Hulu's list of like weird, random uh, possible things that they're thinking about doing? Yeah. I mean, I know they've officially announced Ghost Rider and yeah. Hellstorm. Friggin' Damien Hellstrom has a show, and Moon Knight and doesn't. Modoc and Hitmonkey. What? This is the world we live in right now. I don't know. But we, we need. We, Moon Knight is one of those characters. Like, why don't we have Moon Knight? Yeah. The, the thing is, he's hard to write. Mm. Not that hard. He's just Batman with issues. Not that Batman more, more doesn't have issues. issues. Or different, yeah. a, a different set well, of... No, he doesn't have issues. He has a whole subscription. Yes. Yeah, exactly. We'll go with that. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's a cool thing we do on our show. Like I said, 99% of the stuff we give away, it's all donated to me. Mm -hmm. I haven't paid for a damn thing yet. <laughs> Knock on wood. Yeah, Riding this gravy train as long as I can. But it's great. Everybody supports us. So. You do a good cause and people come out. Yeah. That's... You know, I have all my friends, like, yelling at me, like, why don't you monetize this? Why don't you do it on YouTube? I'm not about making money. I'm about giving money. So, you know, I want to raise money for all these different charities. That's why I do it. And it's fun. And people actually get to learn something on my show. I have... One of my friends, great example, mm -hmm. his wife could not make toast. I mean, literally, she would burn <laughs> toast no matter what setting. It was like she was a demon demon in the kitchen. And she made that cheeseburger bake recipe one time. Okay. So he calls me up and he's like, hey, buddy, I just want to let you know, Michelle made my, they made that cheeseburger bake. I'm like, wow, wait, what? You're, wait. <laughs> like, your Michelle, your wife Michelle cooked? He goes, yeah, she like watched that episode like a thousand times over. She just kept re rewinding, playing, rewinding, playing. I was like... Your wife made something I cooked. <laughs> yeah, and it was really good. I was astounded. So, I mean, if I can make one person learn something, it's a win for me. Money for a good cause and saving the palates of people wherever yep. you go. That, exactly. You're a true hero, sir. Yes. Uh, all right. So, you've been at Dewey's a long time, we've established, yep. since day negative one. Pretty much. Uh, what's, what's the... What's the weirdest thing you've seen here that, that you can talk about? <laughs> that I can talk yeah. about? Hmm. Um, all right, well, that I could talk about probably the, the time I cosplayed as the crow for Dan one time. And I don't know what, I got a little too into character, and I took my shirt off, and he took pictures of it. And then they came to bite me back about 15 years later when he posted them on Facebook for a retrospect. Um, but we've had, now, like, did, you, did you go pale stem to stern? Oh, yeah. I'm already pale as is. I'm I'm paper with hair, but um, no, there's been like just an eclectic mix of customers that have passed through these doors over the years who are, yeah, they're just God's special people. Let's just say that. I mean, God bless their hearts, but so many different levels are wrong sometimes. There are things that have been said that we cannot repeat. Yeah. Fair enough. I, yeah. Yeah. Let, yeah. Let's try to keep it somewhat family friendly. My yeah. show isn't, but let's keep yours a little bit better. Well, we allow swearing. We allow swearing on ours. But, but <laughs> there was that one woman that came in one time. She was looking for uh, an adult toy, shall we say, in the shape of a uh, Hulk. 
It was like, and she thought this was the place to go. She thought this was the place to go. She couldn't find one anywhere else. She was looking for like Hulk hands. Now, has Dewey's ever had a section behind a curtain? No, no. <laughs> no Dan always went out of his way. It, it was always. This has always been and always will be a family oriented place. I mean, ever since Anthony took it over, that's you know he's kept that spirit alive. So. Yeah. I mean, and, I mean, partially it's because Madison is not a town that would probably well support a store with the curtain. Nope. But more than that, Dan always believed... Dan first encountered comics when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. You can always tell Dewey's has a very deep selection of all ages and kids' yeah. comics. And Dan always wanted kids to be able to come in and read and join the hobby and love it the way he did. I mean, Dan, to this day, he doesn't even call them comics. He still calls them the funny pages. Because that's what that's old school, you know, that's what they call them, the funny yeah. pages. Really, really cool. But yeah, this store, I won't shop anywhere else. I mean, I'll go to other stores for my friends that own them and stuff, you sure. know, support them. Mm-hmm. But I I always plug everything on, on Cooking with Stupid, and it's always Garden State Comic Fest and Dewey's Comic City, because without those two... I wouldn't have given the opportunity that I, I have to get all these famous artists on my show. I mean, come on, I had Tom Mandrake in my kitchen, for Christ's sake. <laughs> Freaking awesome. Sweet! Yeah. Now, uh, they're they're sketching while you're cooking. Are they also, you know, are, are, are they talking about their, their careers, telling telling stories, you know, etc.? Yeah, well, we have, like I said, it is a live show on Facebook, so we have people commenting in, and they ask, some people ask, like, cheesy basic questions, you know, well, what's your favorite artist? What's your favorite character? Sure. But a lot of people do have some very in-depth, very moving questions and whatnot. Um, so yeah, we have that aspect, and that's why I like doing the live show, because the comments, some of the comments come in are just horrible. <laughs> um, but a lot of, when we do have a guest artist on the show, yeah, it's very, it, it's like an interview. As, as I'm cooking, I'm asking them some questions, and then I let the viewers take over, because then this way I can pay more attention to what I'm cooking. Sure. And then they can interact with our artists. So, mm. you know, it's just a great, it's a fun time. But just not for kids. W-N-Q-A. And boy, I'm really curious to see how Rosenberg's Uncanny wraps up. Because it's gotten to this point where... I, I'm not shocked anymore at the volume of death. It's kind of like, oh, somebody died. I guess there it's Tuesday again. Was a comic that I read in June of the year in the year of our Lord, 2019, in the month of our Lord June, where the upstarts killed the nasty boys. Yeah, I'm still processing that. Yeah, it, it's really just let's drag out every mutant that nobody. Got. Most of us, the freaking upstarts were already dead. Cortez was definitely dead. Sienna Blaze, I'm pretty sure, was dead. Fitzroy was dead. I think they were all dead, except for maybe Shinobi Shaw, who well, he killed himself. Never, so, and who will now never know what sex is. <laughs> Yes, best headcanon ever. It really is. It's the headcanon that keeps on giving. Like, honestly, but that's the thing. Like, I cannot tell. Even there are, let's see, one, there are two last issues of the Age of X-Men miniseries left and the Omega issue. And two more issues of Uncanny. One more issue of X-Force. I cannot tell what is going to happen. I cannot, I, I cannot fathom how we are going to transition from this to Hickman. Whether it is going to be a smooth transition, whether it is going to time jump, it just seems like this is going to end and then a different thing is going to happen and none of what is going on is going to be, is going to matter. Yeah, that's how it feels. I mean, it feels like the last page... It, it it the last page of Age of X Men Omega is gonna be you know the everybody pops back up on that beach somehow like Scott Logan and the, the few surviving people they have are gonna be there and it's like what the hell happened to everyone you don't want to know oh my god what's that white light boom next thing you know is Hickman yeah oh my god look over there or I don't uh, all right so the life seed. The, the celestial life seed was on the 
beach on Quadra Island. The last thing you see of it, besides like Nate Gray holding it as his body lie on the shore, like uh, Matthew Fox at the end of Lost. <laughs> Is this a Jacob's Ladder scenario? Um, <laughs> you know. Um. Yeah. Maybe, you know, maybe. Okay. Maybe the whole Krakoa thing. Well, no, because they're giving out Krakoa seeds. Did the life seed bring Quadra Island to life? And is it its own Krakoa? Mm. And the X-Men are going to Mars. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I got... Yeah, I just... I, Step three, profit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it just doesn't feel like... It, it. I don't see anything that Hickman is... Any of the previews of Hickman stuff seems to be playing off of anything that we've seen lately. And, I mean, oh boy. And then Xavier figures so heavily. I mean, there has to be... There's gotta, it's got to resolve the whole X plot from, from Sewell's Astonishing Run, which Rosenberg picked up in the annual, one would think. You know, I keep seeing that one teaser cover of, of Xavier with the Cerebro helmet on, covering his head, holding out flowers. Right. Yeah. Like, after the train wreck that Scott has gotten himself into in Uncanny, like, what could justify him deciding that it's a good idea to still be with the X-Men? He should just walk away. Scott is stubborn. Yes. If you look at the last few years of of his, his character, he is stubborn. This is the only thing being an X-Man is the only thing he knows how to do. You, you would have hoped he'd learned something. The whole, that whole, the Ed Brisson annual where he came back was all about him learning a lesson and Rosenberg has completely ignored the lesson that he learned. <laughs> well, but did he though? See, okay, alright, so the Brisson annual sees Scott sort of wanting to seek redemption for, I think, Gorilla Scott phase. Like, Phoenix Scott, Gorilla Scott phase. It, I don't think that makes him want to atone for being the guy who leads the X-Men. No, I, I agree with that. But at the same time, he is acting very similar to Gorilla Scott. Working with McCoy was, I mean, and granted, I will not argue, I would be almost the first to argue that working with McCoy and working with, you know, 616 Beast at this juncture and 616 Beast's evolution is not that much of a distinction. Only 616 Beast tries to justify it versus McCoy, who revels in his own crapulence. Yeah, but the X-Men took Hank back. He was on the team before everybody got sucked into Nate Gray's head or whatever. Oh, I know, and it makes me angry every time. The sheer hypocrisy of, you know, everyone holding everything Scott ever did against him, but Beast just keeps getting pass after pass because it's narratively convenient to have Scott be the the heel and Hank gets away with it. You really are a shameless Cyclops apologist. Yeah, I am. <laughs> Scott fucked up. No doubt. I will not argue that. But Beast fucked up as bad, if not worse. It, it's, I'm not even sure at this point if someone's a Cyclops apologist as I am pissed off that the Beast just keeps getting a pass. Oh, Henry. <laughs> okay. Cooler version of the Beast right now. Prison ripped six one six Hank McCoy in the Age of X Men, or uh, Spider Legs, uh, but classic look Dark Beast. Ooh, I do loves me some robot Spider Legs. <laughs> it's like somebody put nineties Beast on Mojo. <laughs> yes, yes. You know, I'm gonna say this, and this might be. This is a hot take. 
the book I'm going to miss most out of everything that is ending to lead into Hickman, Mr. and Mrs. X. Love it. That book, that book was fun. Kelly Thompson did such a good job with Rogan Gambit. It was just delightful. It's, it was steeped in continuity, but everything you needed to know if you didn't already know it was explained. Mm-hmm. Their rapport was delightful. And you, you Somehow you got the Shi'ar, Mojo, and the Teeves Guild in three different arcs, and none of it felt like, okay, we're cramming in all the crazy. It's like, no, it all flowed out of those characters. And, and not only that, but in the midst of all that, in, in, you know, you, you took Rogue and Gamut, you actually sort of matured them and evolved them and watched them. They're... They are the healthiest ex-couple. Oh, yeah. No doubt. I mean, and, no other ex-couple really exists anymore. Right. I mean, and let's <laughs> be... I mean, I think Jay and Miles said it best if you've heard today's... listened to today's episode yet. Please let Scott and Gene not get back together. I, I don't... I think that, at least for now, is a bridge they have both crossed, and I don't believe that there's an easy way for them to come back from that. Yeah. Not without years of therapy and or serious communication that getting back together right away is not going to help. I I think Scott, I mean, has Scott Summers has not been single since he was like 17. Even those brief periods where he was sort of single he was with Lee Forrester. Mm-hmm. He was flirting with Colleen Wing. Mm. Even when he and Emma broke up after AVX, she was around all the time. And there was this will they, won't they. Sam and Diane. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Scott Summers. This is the first time Scott Summers has been single his entire adult life. And he should be single. Believe me, as someone who needed that year and a half in between when he broke up with his long-term ex and met his wife, that year and a half is an important thing for someone to have if they're in a certain way. Mm -hmm. Serial monogamy is important to be broken up by a period of singletude. Take my advice, Scott Summers. No one loves you like I do. (laughs) All right, so it is July, and uh, we here at WMQ are launching our Age of X-Men series. Been hyping it up for a little bit, but basically, you know, we're going to have people sort of, you know, friends at the site writing in, talking about their their favorite ser- uh, era of X-Men over the years. And, you know, just looking at some of the submissions that we've already got, and I think we've run a couple of them by the time you hear this, listeners, um, you know, they're all over the map. You know, some Claremont stuff, some Jim Lee stuff, Morrison, uh, you know, Bendis. Uh, I decided to be the ultimate contrarian and start with the present. Um, you know, I've made no secret of my appreciation for this current era of X-Men. I know there are people who don't love it. And I know there are people who are just, we'll call them wrong, uh, who believe that this current era doesn't matter, that it's just a placeholder for Jonathan Hickman. But I'm kind of, I'm taking the long view of this because, all right, so Hickman started talking to Marvel about coming back in early 2018. So this is before the Uncanny relaunched. This is before Jordan White even took over the X office. Um... I say take over. Named X Men editor. It's not like you know there was a hostile uh, <laughs> invasion. This isn't Emma Frost taking over the Hellfire Club. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He walked in with his waxed mustache and his ukulele and said, "Hail to the king." <laughs> uh, we lo- we love you, Jordan. Uh, but <laughs> anyway, uh, you know. So we knew Hickman was coming for a long time. Is my point. You can even make the case that. Hickman is the reason that the uh, the color-coded era 
wound down, you know, blue, gold, red, uh, that Declan Shelby green series that never came to, to fruition, but would have resolved everything going on with Banshee and Siren. Um, what could have been? I, I see I see Hickman as the third step in a three-step healing process. Because when you think of where the X-Men were, you know, f- under especially post-Secret Wars, you know, not good times. When your one-time moneymaker is jobbing for the Inhumans, that's not a good look. You know, and I already, like, I went through a very long phase where I just wasn't reading X-Men on the regular. Um, you know, roughly from the end of the Morrison era to two years ago when, when X-Men Prime came out. You know, that's when I was starting to, you know, feel like, oh, okay, the X-Men are kind of getting back to form, right? So that, that first, that you know, the color-coded period, uh, 2017 to 18, that's the first step in the healing process. You know, you start to see things that look like X-Men books again. Now, right? I, I just need to defend some of that because my Age of X-Men column, which I don't think will be up by the time this comes out, is set during that period. I really feel like Kieran Gillen and Jason Aaron did some very X-Men feeling books in there. But I won't go into that right now, as this is not what it's about, but come back for my Age of X-Men column about Kieran Gillen and Jason Aaron, and you'll hear why. Yeah, definitely definitely read that. And this is not a knock against, against Kieran Gillen, against Jason Aaron, against Matt Fraction. Uh, you know, none of those guys. I, I don't I don't have the ultimate frame of reference for their work yet. You know, I'm kind of working on it. Um, I'm actually, I just finished the first Bendis Uncanny trade. So um, that's where I'm kind of spackling things in. Uh, I definitely want to read that Kieran Gillen run where they visit a town full of Sinisters. Uh, yeah. that, that sounds wonderful. <laughs> it is delightful. Have you read the Whedon stuff? I have read the Whedon Cassidy Astonishing one, yes. I mean, I, I think it's an enjoyable run. I, it's not in my favorite eras of the X titles. Um, but it, it, it's also in there, and I think there would be plenty of people that would defend it as peak X-Men. Mm-hmm. But that it, 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 And I like Joss Whedon, but it's not my particular cup of tea in a lot of places. Okay. I think it's also was really hurt by delays and by House of M sort of happening in the middle of it. That's true. I, I mean, what I will say about the Whedon Cassidy run that I appreciate and you don't see this often with X-Men, especially in the modern era, is it took, it coalesced around a core team. You know, it was a flagship book without having Uncanny in front of it. And yeah, there were delays, but you know, you don't think about that when you're reading the trade, which is, is, is how I was consuming it. You know, I got 24 issues in a giant size of, of John Cassidy art at like the height of his power. It's stunning. I thought Whedon wrote a really good Cyclops and a really mm-hmm. good Emma. I think there's a lot to be said for that run. Uh, but it's just funny that I was thinking about when you said, you know, there's this whole period and it's like, yeah, I mean, out of House of M, you get that or out of the end of Morrison, I guess you get that. Yeah. You get Claremont's second return to Uncanny yes. and you get Chuck off. Austin on X-Men and then Peter Milligan uh, taking over shortly after uh, House of M because I don't right. think Austin I think Austin left right around House of M he might have Peter Milligan have... started with Decimation yes okay so I thought as much yeah it was the the him and LaRocca and they did Blood of Apocalypse and yep. that it is not that is not a well remembered, well regarded era, except for Whedon. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so so the co- the the color period, you know, first step in the healing process. The second period, the second step, is the one that we're in now. Uh, you know, where they brought Uncanny back, and really, it's it started with the stuff that you saw on the fringes of. Um, I guess the official banner was Resurrexi on. <laughs> Terrible. But anyway, but like your X-Men Red, your Rogue and Gambit, your New Mutants Dead Souls, your Multiple Man, 
Like that's where the pieces really started to come together, and that's where you started to get these these writers who were coming on board that were also fans, and and fans in the same sense that Matt and I are, um, which probably means we're too old, but <clears throat> you know, and 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 a lot of this is in the piece that I, I write, but. You know, in interviews and on Twitter, like the receipts are are there. So you know, Vita Ayala tells the story about seeing Bishop on the cover of a comic in in 1990, whatever, and and feeling seen. You know, how many uh, months were we blessed with Leah Williams tweeting about Maggot, and and also having these sort of deep conversations about Emma Frost online. Um, do you remember when Shona McGuire was on our podcast? If it means I'm still working in the X office, okay, cool. I am writing that amazing lifeguard slipstream road trip book. I am going to do the maggot marrow romantic comedy that absolutely no one is asking for. You want to endear yourself to an X-Men fan? Tell them your favorite character is the most obscure one. <laughs> Unless the character is Pete Wisdom. <laughs> we won't go there. Ah, yeah, I guess I guess we won't. Um, <laughs> I'll die on that hill. Um, <laughs> Sam right. I'm standing right beside you. Um Yeah, so so this this current crop knows knows the X-Men and you know, if you want to make the argument that it's, it's it's fan service, great. I love being served. Being served is great. <laughs> it is a good feeling. I mean, Matthew Rosenberg running around and and bring back the upstarts and the nasty boys just to kill them again. Yes, please. <laughs> oh, where's Games Master? I, I I just kind of wish he'd brought in Games Master too. That's all. But the thing is, Games Master watches from afar. Yeah, that's true. Although you, you could very easily, the way they structure these issues, just be like, "Oh, we found his base, and Quan uh, uh, and chopped his head off." Yeah. <laughs> On to the next thing. <laughs> and, and speaking of bringing in stuff from that era that I was just talking about that nobody wants to, the friggin' Office of National Emergency one that was introduced to put sentinels on the X-Men's campus to protect them. And now, oh, guess what? They're here wiping out mutants. It's like, boy, that was a small step to take that and a logical one. Yeah, yeah, very, very interesting. And just and taking that, that General Callahan guy, whom, as far as I know, was, was for, first introduced in Rosenberg's astonishing run and turning him into a villain, you know, that's sort of the main villain of un, Uncanny. Um you know, this guy who just looks like a G.I. Joe character who's set up to be a traitor for Cobra. You know, he should it's just the Baroness in a mask. If they could get him to team up with the asshole general that Al Ewing is using over in... Uh, uh, Immortal Hulk? Immortal Hulk. They'd be like, boy, the... the group of evil generals in the Marvel Universe teaming up. I mean, Thunderbolt Ross is dead, so now we have to take his place with, like, it's Hydra! Cut off one head and two shall take its place. <laughs> Not uh, that I, we need more Hydra anytime soon, but, you yeah, know. It's, it's those two guys and then the, the CGI general from the auto insurance <laughs> Wait a minute. Is Shaq the real villain of the Marvel Universe? Hmm. <laughs> and, and before we're done, by the way, speaking yeah. of generals and Marvel continuity and Sentinels, we really need to loop back to the end of X-Men Grand Design. Yes. Okay. So I, I'm going to dash this off real quick. And the third step in the healing process is Hickman, who is just going to take over like in a way that no creator has since Chris Claremont and just do his own thing and probably earn heaping gobs of, of orgiastic praise. Well, I mean, it's it's interesting because Hickman will be hopefully to the X-Men what Bendis was to the Avengers. That, you know, Hick Bendis comes on to the Avengers at a period when 
no one was reading the Avengers. Jeff Johns had done his little run, and it had gotten some a little bit of buzz, but Johns wasn't Johns yet. And then Chuck Austin came on for an arc, and everyone ran screaming. <laughs> and then Bendis comes on, and it becomes this whole other thing. The thing about I, Bendis, though, it, it, you want to watch like that as something you hope, because Bendis also overstayed his welcome. That is true. I mean, I, I remember, like, getting sick of watching the new Avengers fight the hood. Yeah. Yeah. The the hood was a great character when Brian Vaughn and Kyle Hotz created him. It was cool when Bendis brought him in as the new Kingpin. He was not a character who had to keep coming back. Yeah. But... But, <laughs> um, but yeah, you wanted to talk about X Men Grand Design. That I assume you've re- you have read all have. six issues at this point. Yes, yes, I have. That I was not expecting that ending. We're this will be going up a few weeks after that issue has dropped. Yes. But yeah. just in case, folks. You might want to jump forward a little if you don't want to get spoiled on the final issue of Grand Design, especially if you're waiting for the big, gorgeous trade that is coming and is going to be awesome. Um, You know, it never occurred to me that Pisker was pulling a this is actually the background not of Earth 616, but Earth 811. And then it happens, and it's like, oh. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, you know, there were there were all these slight kind of tweaks to continuity, and you're like, okay, that's, that's fine and interesting. You know, because the whole point, as, as I took it, was to sort of consolidate all that history. And then it just sort of like they get to Extinction Agenda and everything just goes to hell. I was thrilled to see Ed Pisker draw Cameron Hodge with the cardboard cutout hanging around his neck. That was great. That was such a beautiful touch. (laughs) It is. And, you know, it's interesting as we are both devotees of Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men and they bring that up a lot. But I read Extinction Agenda very early in my X reading, like shortly Mm -hmm. after X-Men numbers one to three, um, I found like a set of it somewhere and I didn't understand a ton of it because of all the, the continuity, but I could not forget that Cameron Hodge with the broken glasses and that cardboard cutout. It is such a disturbing image. It stuck with me. 20 something years later and I was just so excited when I was like oh yeah they brought in the crazy cardboard cutout <laughs> and he drew a kind of badass cable yeah. I, I was not expecting I mean Ed Piscor let's be fair he can make anything look badass but I hadn't been thinking about his badass cable until I saw it I was like wow that is a 90s cable there, there hadn't been a ton, uh, you know, and, and and how can you when, you know, you're working in such a limited space. There wasn't a ton of New Mutant stuff. Um, you know, and the other thing that I was, you know, thought was interesting is when they finally introduced, you know, the original X-Factor, Jean was in, already in her 90s, co- I think Scott was too, in Scott their uh, 90s too. costumes. And I think that is probably Pisker having a fan moment and loving those costumes and wanting to get to draw them since he knew he was going to stop at the, uh, the not even Muir Island Saga. We never even got no. up to 279 up at end it at 272. I, I do admit I was kind of hoping we would get the Muir Island Saga as I wanted to see more of Pisker's Shadow King and his Legion but yeah, I was happy with what I what I got there, yeah. and seeing all that he drew a mean Days of Future Past world, and I mean, even then there were little differences. I mean, tying in throwing Bishop and 
Rachel into the Days of Future Past thing was also a slight tweak to continuity. It was and a there... slight tweak. It was also a nod to the cartoon. Yes. Yes, it was. That's where Bishop came from. Oh, yeah. I, I remember. Traitor, your future ends now. When I think of Bishop from the cartoon, the first thing that I think of is his theme music. That little just sort of like old-timey blues number with the harmonica on it. Mm -hmm. The My most quoted moment from that show is from that Days of Future Past. Everyone can relax. Gam Gambit has returned. It's a, it is such a Gambit moment. It, oh. But yeah, I mean, there were tweaks to the continuity even before the timelines would have diverged. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you, which made it all the more, made the trick he pulls in the end all the more, all the less easy to guess. Because we'd seen, you know, Gene knew that Xavier faked his death. The Phoenix is the one who killed Proteus. Little things like that happened before the divergence. Uh, Gary Shandling's character from the Marvel movies is the guy who they the Brotherhood kills, not Senator Kelly. Wait. Wait. Okay, I know there was a second senator, but you're telling me that was Gary Shandling's character from... He, Mr. Hydra himself? Yeah, he doesn't look it. And I didn't realize it. It's in the back matter of that last issue. Pisker oh, wow. says that, that is that is that's Mr. Hail Hydra. Wow. <laughs> it makes it all the better, <laughs> doesn't it? And it makes you kind of wish the Brotherhood killed him, because he was a real dick. Yeah, they could have done what they did to Bruce Davison in uh uh <laughs> the first X-Men movie and just turned him into a plop of goop on the beach. Oh, that that would have been good. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Grand is I, I was really pleased, really excited about how Pisker brought that around, and then that final little moment of Scott now not answering the Madeline Pryor ad, but the Lee Forrester ad, and setting the timeline that we know moving forward is reminiscent of the final pages of Stephen King's final Dark Tower novel, mm. which is far and away the best part of that final Dark Tower novel, a book that is so full of anticlimaxes that it's sad. But the last couple of pages where, and this is a spoiler for a book that's a decade old, so whatever. Um, I mean, they haven't wait, gotten around to making the movie version yet. Yeah, they're never... That far down the line. Oh, boy. <laughs> no, don't get me started on that Dark Tower movie. Do, do not get me started on that Dark Tower movie. That is a podcast... That That is a Matt rants at everyone for half an hour thing. Um, poke, poke, but... poke, poke the bear. Poke, <laughs> poke, poke. <laughs> oh, oh, believe me. You, you got that, you know, I could look at you and then... You know, uh, uh, <laughs> sort of moment, like backhand paw with that, that one, um, but the whole point, and the, which one of the problems with the film is that they were trying to make Roland the gunslinger a little too cuddly. Not that he's cuddly, but a little less of an ass. And that is the thing about you realize right in that first book, Roland is an a monster. He is as bad as the bad guys that he is chasing. He is willing to sacrifice everything and everyone to reach his goal and about halfway through the book you get a flashback where roland's childhood best friend is shot and killed and he's holding the a, a horn like you know one of those ram's horn horns mm -hmm. that was the the family artifact of roland's family and he'd given it to his best friend who blew the horn to start the battle and Roland's friend Cuthbert is murdered. He drops the horn, and he Roland was supposed to play to blow the horn when he reached the Dark Tower. And Roland ignores it and keeps going. And throughout the the series, we see Roland learn and change just enough. He realizes what an ass he's been, 
and in the end, when he gets to the top of the Dark Tower, his his quest, there's nothing there. And he's going to be... He's done this before over and over again, and it's a cycle. But when you get to the very end, when the next version of that cycle begins, Roland has the horn on his belt. So he's earned a little spot of redemption, and the timeline has now changed. And that's Scott answering Lee Forrester's ad, is Mm. Roland having the horn again. It means that the timeline is going to be different. And in this, the case of the uh, Marvel Universe, we know the differences. Yeah. We know that this is now 616 and not 811. But I, I thought that Grand Design is going to be something... If they release an Absolute Edition with all six issues oversized together... Despite having the singles, I will probably buy that. Hopefully with lots of cool back matter. Oh, yeah. Just, uh, yeah. Just cutting room floor sketches, characters he didn't even get to use. Oh, yeah. I'd love to see him just do pinups, all the variant covers he did. There would be so much cool material from that book. A short story where it, it ends up being like the the Earth Eight Eleven version of Judgment War or something. I don't know. Yeah, I would love to see like a short like two pages of X Factor, two pages of New Mutants. Mm-hmm. Just you know, weave in some of that stuff. I, I'm sure that they can do it. I would happily put that on the shelf with my Absolute New Frontier, my Parker Martini Edition, and my Absolute Sandman's. Mm. Um, oh, you know that Sandman series got uh, greenlit over at Netflix, by the way. Uh, I, I am I. I will believe it when I see it. I oh, want sure. to believe mm-hmm. it. I want to see it. But I've gotten my hopes up before about a Sandman series or movie, and my heart has been broken. I I, I got to see it before. I got to see stills. I got to see yeah. something before <laughs> I get myself too excited. It's like getting hyped up for a Why the Last Man uh, adaptation. But you know what? Hey, the things that I never thought would happen, happen. The second half of the third season of Young Justice uh, rolls out tomorrow. So Mm. never thought that I'd see that third season of Young Justice, and that's happened. So, hey. (laughs) We can dream. Every day. (laughs) Yep. Um, All right. Getting back to the X-Men for a second. Yes. And probably for the rest of this conversation. Um, (laughs) so at Comic-Con, I think, uh, which is just a, just a couple of short weeks away, we are, I think, supposed to start getting announcements for what comes after Hoxpox. After the Hoxpox clears up, these are the books that are the X-Men line uh, is going to look like. What do you think we're going to see? Do you, think we get, do you think we get more like all new? Hmm, that's a weird phrase to start. <laughs> that with but um books with with titles that we have not seen before or do you think we get all new all different takes on uh, you know uncanny x-force x-factor scalper etc i think we will almost assuredly get an uncanny i think marvel has learned that you can have limited periods where you don't have a book called Uncanny X-Men, but in the same way you can have Superior Spider-Man for a little while before Amazing Spider-Man comes back, that's the the that's the brand. Uncanny mm-hmm. X-Men is the brand. So I believe that will probably be Hickman's book. One of probably two. Oh, because yeah. he was able to keep up with two Avengers books. So I have a feeling like we will get two X-Men books. One will be Uncanny, and one will be some other book. Maybe it will be an X-Factor or a new X-Men. Adjectiveless? Adjectiveless? I think there's a good chance with that group of characters that we've seen that look like amalgamated versions of X-Characters or the children of X-Characters... A new X-Men featuring them might be in the cards. 
Hmm. Okay, that makes sense. I want there to be an X-Force title. Uh, I want there to be a couple of solo books. I'm sure we'll get a new Wolverine title. It has been far too long. Just just give the man his own book again. You know, not a miniseries, not a hunt for, not a weird road trip with Loki. You know, just just, just give me the old slashy stabby. Yeah, and I mean, I think we might, they might hand that over to Charles Soule. He might have earned his stripes on doing the death and return, and now it's time for him to get the ongoing. Or I mean, you try somebody else. Oh yeah, because I'm not. He's, he's, you know, because he's had all that time with the character. That is true. I mean, I would love to see some of the current crowd get a book out of this. I would love. I, I still think that a Leah Williams Hellfire Club book would be awesome. It depends on where Emma is in all of this. But I, I definitely am a firm believer in in Leah Williams' B-team book or Get the Fuck Out. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I still need to work. I, I need to get in touch with Leah. I still, she and I have to have a talk about that Sherlock Holmes mystique destiny book because I still think there's potential there. Mm-hmm. Even if that's the first issue of a time-spanning destiny mystique love story miniseries... Uh, Seanan, not Leah Seanan, who we were talking yeah. about um, but yeah I don't, I mean, do you have anything I, this, things are so up in the air and we know so little about this yeah, no, anything we do at this point is just speculation to fill an episode because I guess dropped out at the last minute um, <laughs> no, that, 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 that that's I'm not even that, being subtle uh, <laughs> just because it's the Third time in a month. <laughs> God, I'm gonna go cry. Yeah, um, oh, you're still out anyway. there, folks. Yeah, I, I hear you about wanting an X Force book. I don't think you're gonna get. It's gonna be like another weird assortment of X Force, not necessarily in a negative way, but you know what I mean. Like we're not getting the Ed Brisson nostalgia trip that we just got that was too good and pure for this world. Um, yeah. If it didn't get too bogged down in like Kid Cable and Kid Stripe in the middle there, but um, it had blacksmith. It had blacksmith. It had blacksmith. Blacksmith. Um, you know, I I could see X Factor coming back. That name is Lane Fallow for a while. You could do something there. I don't necessarily think it needs you get the government sponsored team or you know uh, a Madrox centric series. I, I, I'm, we are writing this, writing this, recording this before uh, Matt Rosenberg's running uncanny is done. I don't know if I'm counting on Madrox making it out alive. I don't think I'm counting on anybody other than Scott and Logan making it out of that run alive. So everyone dies except the important people. <laughs> right. I think Havoc is going to disappear into cosmic energy. I think Danny Moonstar is going to go off and be a Valkyrie. A juggernaut will survive because, you know, it, it's it's good to have the Huggernaut around. Um, the Huggernaut! Aww. <laughs> but he's being friendly. He's a Huggernaut. Oh, Chuck Austin's Juggernaut was a Huggernaut. He was indeed. He hugged Sammy the Squid Boy. <laughs> yes, he did. Where is Black Tom? It would have been nice if we'd seen, you know, Juggernaut hanging out with his, you know, hetero life mate, Black Tom. <laughs> I got nothing on that. I have no idea. Did he come back in Necrotia? I, I don't wait, know. Wait, wait, wait. He was in the first issue of X-Men, X-Men Blue. Yeah, he was. And from I... then on, I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. one of those villains that comes back and he's like, hey guys, I'm back. Yeah, I was dead. Don't worry about it. <laughs> hey, maybe the maybe Siren will give up her death god powers to bring back everyone that Matthew Rosenberg has killed. That would be but nice. That's a good question, though. Do you think Matt Rosenberg's job is to kill everyone? Left? To make room for Hawkspox? Are we... 
is Hoxpox just going to be like, let's get rid of everyone and just boil it down to a few main characters? Possible, but there's better ways to do it than mass slaughter. Because everyone is somebody's favorite. And there are even... Rosenberg's removed... killed so many of our favorites. Yes! I mean, we're even removing the controversy from it, if he had done it a different way, I'd still be sad that he killed Rain. I and, love Rain. Yeah, some of them are bad looks. Rain's death, Blindfold's death, uh, Loa's death, but... Um... God damn it, you killed Guido. <laughs> yeah! And Chamber! I've got a soft spot for Jono. I mean, it really, that's, with him gone, are Jubilee and M, oh, I guess Husk, Jubilee, M, and Husk are the last of Generation X. Where's, Everyone else is dead. Where's M? Okay, all right, hold on, hold on. I read the last issue of Generation X. They defeated her because she had basically become her brother. Right, she'd M played it up. But I think, like, there was room there for a redemption arc, but then she doesn't show up again. Unless she did. Unless she's hiding. Is she in meta? I thought she might have been in one of the Age of X-Men books I wasn't reading. But maybe not? Yeah. It's hard to say with the same claws, because they they hide inside each other. Mm. They're like a Matryoshka doll? That way? She was last seen in that Weapon X book, the one with uh, Sabretooth. At least that's what Dr. Internet is telling me. Wait, huh? The, Wait, the not, one... not the Frank Thierry uh, Weapon X, No, right? the, uh, the one that was running with Redeemed, Sabretooth, Domino. Oh, Really? She was in, the, yeah, apparently. Um, was it Greg Pak who wrote that? I know he wrote Weapon yeah, Age yes. that spun out of it. Yeah, it was Greg Pak. You sacrificed your eyes, so great. Yeah, it's Monet witnessed the resurrection with the rest of Weapon X Force, but was left sadly wondering what happened to Sabretooth. So that was the last issue of that series. And I don't know if she has shown up since. So she might have gotten a pass on this whole nightmare by everyone forgetting she was out there how about that yeah i i, I figured she was somewhere in uh age of x-men that i just wasn't aware of but apparently not she's just been forgotten which is a shame because i really dig that character You know, man, the more that I think about this, the more I think that Rosenberg's just going to kill off almost that entire uncanny cast, with the exception of Emma Scott and Logan. Yeah, That's I mean, a bummer, man. <laughs> that is, especially because that team, out of the gate when they first were introduced as an X Men team, was a pretty interesting assortment of characters. I was here for Cyclops's Revenge Squad. Yeah. I mean, Scott, Logan, Havoc. Hope, Banshee. Hope, Hope and Banshee. So you've got, you got Scott from, and then from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Havoc from that, you know, in between. you got Logan and Banshee from All New, All Different. You've got some grown-up New Mutants. you got a, a Generation X kid. you got an X-Factor character. And you've got Two a, X-Factor a new... Two X-Factor characters. Well, I get, oh, you already mentioned Havoc from a previous generation, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, th- because uh, uh, Guido as well. Yeah, Guido and Jamie. And Rain. Yeah, and, almost all of them, except for Lorna and, and, and uh, Pietro. Yeah. And you factor in Hope as a, a new character. Mm-hmm. And you had a, an interesting cross-section of X characters in that book. God, I, it might be, it's terrible to say, it might be a mercy to kill off Hope, as no one has really known what to do with her since at least Cy Spurrier's X-Force, if not, depending on how you feel about that, Dennis Hopeless's uh, Cable and X-Force, she's been a character that it was like, okay, she's 
a Layla Miller, a character that was introduced as a plot device. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. now it's like, well, the plot worked itself out. What do we do with her now? And I mean, it's not to say that there weren't good stories. I liked her in Hopeless's run. I liked uh, what uh, Zach Thompson and Lenny Nadler did in that last cable arc. But she's always felt like she was sort of at ends. Yeah, that's true. But I just, I, I would rather they didn't because I think there's potential. That, that character has a lot of potential. Yeah. Then again, I think a lot of the characters they've killed have a lot of potential. I mean, you can make the case for Cable that, like, there were a couple of points where he outlived his usefulness. The end of Executioner's Song, you know, the end of The Twelve. Um, not that The Twelve was a good story, but... You know what I mean? Like, you get to that point where it's like, oh, what the hell do we do with him now? He protected this baby, so... Uh, kill him! And yeah! Bring him back. Time stuff if we need him. Wibbly, wobbly, timey, wimey. Cably, wibbly. <laughs> I mean, and Banshee at this point, it might almost, again, it might be a mercy to, for zombie Banshee to go back to whatever, after whatever uh, eternal reward he has earned. Although Moira is coming back from the dead. So... I I have heard people say that we don't know for sure that's Moira. Oh, I'm yeah, I guess, but I think it's Moira. I mean, it'll be nice to see her again. Yes, I I've, <laughs> I mean, she she's been dead for quite some time since the nineties. Yeah, I mean, short of you know the occasional popping up in a mass resurrection story where everybody dies again at the end. Mm-hmm. She's been she and Pyro both went out during that Dreams End thing and neither of them have really come back. I miss and, original Pyro. And Kelly, Senator Kelly died in that arc too. Mm-hmm. And I do I agree, I do miss original Pyro. Good old Saint Jean. I miss Pyro from the from the, from the cartoon though. <laughs> I, like, love... I feel about Pyro and Avalanche the way other people feel about Black Tom and Juggernaut. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they, they they were, you know, road tripping BFFs, you know, hanging out and doing stuff. They were the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Yes, they were. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they were. Oh. But most of all, I'm going to miss Blob. I'm going to miss Age of X-Men Blob. I gotta wonder if that is a somehow that version of the character will find a way to be preserved because that is the blob has never gotten this kind of love no people are talking about the blob and no one talks about the blob except when bringing up unfortunate and uncomfortable stereotypes in comics no one discusses the blob. <laughs> Welcome to die. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I, um, yeah, so that's I mean, that's that that's basically why I'm saying you know right now is is the best X Men X Men era. You know, like let's let's appreciate what we have as we are about to lose it. Hug it, hug it close to you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it The thing that's impressive about it is that it is doing something different with so many of these characters. Mm-hmm. And even though it's an AU, it's only sort of an AU, that these are these real people just who've been sort of tinkered with and you get an, a, a different angle on some of these characters an angle that we've never seen before yeah I mean so many of the, the, the sort of down the line books are like so you've got Marvelous X-Men right and that's a team of X-Men like you look at it and like these are X-Men this is what X-Men looks like 
You know what I mean? Like, you've got your heavy hitters, you've got one younger character in Nature Girl. That, that's X-Men. We know what that looks like. You know, yeah. then you get into Next Gen, and it's basically like, oh, these are all the young mutants, and they're all together, and we've seen them together before, and they're together again, and they're trying to solve a mystery, and Bob Herman is, is, is a sweet, pure, wonderful angel. We should all love him and give him a hug. Then you who get into... Yeah, who would have thought? Right. Then you get into the other... Uh, one, two, three, yeah, four books, and it's 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 this weird Russian roulette of uh, Russian roulette's not the right word, but it's it's this sort of like random number generator of characters stuck together. You know, Amazing Nightcrawler, probably the most sense making of all of them because it's a lot of it is an Excalibur throwback. I mean, you've got McGann, you've got Kurt, you've got um, Kylan, Kylan, you know, but then but. From then on, it's just like, what are these random assortments of characters? Like, you've got one book that is Jubilee, Iceman, North Star, The Blob, and... Um, Psylocke. And Psylocke. Okay, most of them are X-Men. What is The Blob doing here? What? Why is this Blob so good and wonderful? Oh my god, are Blob and Betsy falling in love? Oh my god. <laughs> what is happening to my... To me, <laughs> what is this world? Then you got Prisoner X, and that's that's even like you got Bishop, Beast, Polaris, uh, Gabby, and uh, and Danny, who may or may not be Danny because there's also Danny and Uncanny on the mm, that rhymed, uh, <laughs> you know, on the other side of the reality coin. Still not sure what's going on there. We got one more issue from you know when we're discussing this. We'll have already come out by the time it. Air. You guys know how time works. And then finally, you've got uh, uh, Apocalypse and the Extracts, which you know, Kitty, Apocalypse in his in his Alvin and the Chipmunk shirt, uh, Genesis, Dazzler, and iBoy. iBoy. Yeah. So it it really is just sort of seeing what combinations work, and thankfully, for the most part, they all most of them do very well. It's a fascinating period, and I think I'd like to believe it's a period that, in in retrospect, is going to be remembered as something really interesting and unique. Absolutely, and you know, hopefully, uh, looking at our schedule of who, of who we've got booked to come on the show, there will be at least one person in the next couple of weeks who can come on and speak to this specifically. And I'm very much looking forward to that. That's it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A and WMQComics.com at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where just a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, the ability to promote your work on our site, and a customized bonus reading column written by our own Matt Lazowitz built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. Big thanks to our first and foremost patron, Steve Morris from Shelf Dust and the MNT. You can follow WMQ Comics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote and Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013. Not a fan of social media? Sign up for our weekly Q newsletter, which gives you the best of WMQ every week in your inbox. Uh, finally, and most importantly, check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views. And we'll see you next time. WMQA!